Hello again. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Where do we stand on sports betting and I-70 expansion? We'll talk with Lisa Nelson at the state capitol. Misha and high schools may sanction boys volleyball. And it's Fountains Day in Kansas City. A deadly tornado in Bollinger County reminds us all how quickly a weather disaster can happen and how quickly responders and neighbors are there to help. Ashley Bird has asked for an update from KFVS TV anchor Kathy Sweeney, who's been on location covering this and reporting on the recovery every day. So, Ashley, it's been a week since uh, that EF2 tornado came through Bollinger County, and, and the damage is really targeted on two small communities, the communities of Glen Allen and Grassy in Bollinger County. And so there's been an amazing level of progress, honestly, uh, in the past week. Within the couple hours of the tornado hitting, there was a full mobilization of resources from the state, from Bollinger County, from really all of Southeast Missouri. Um, in fact, when I arrived at the um, uh, high school, Woodland High School, which really acted as kind of a central hub for the immediate um, rescue and recovery efforts, um, there were search and rescue teams from as far north as St. Louis and as far south as Poplar Bluff, and then really all points in between. So it was really just a massive, uh, immediate effort to get into these small communities and to uh, assist as many folks as they could. And to give you an idea of how small an area it is, they estimate about 200 to 250 people um, were directly impacted by the, the tornado in those two small communities. And a lot of outside help, like you mentioned, and who has had to stay and what stage are we in in the recovery as as you would assess it? Well, again, a, a week into it, you still have the Bollinger County Sheriff's Office leading the effort with assistance um, from federal and regional resources. Um, the day of the tornado, uh, Missouri Governor Mike Parson was here. Um, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley came through that same evening. So there's been, uh, you know, an immediate gathering of resources. Um, but, but still there as of a week in is really being led by the Bollinger County Sheriff's Office, the, uh, County Health Department. Um, the Missouri State Highway Patrol continues to assist. Uh, and there's also been a, a real outpouring of support from within the community and surrounding communities, local churches, um, have joined in restaurants, businesses, um, have uh, volunteered showing up with heavy equipment. Um, and so uh, also today, as a matter of fact, they opened what they're calling a multi-agency resource center, um, which has a whole host of different resources from the health department. There are folks from the state. There are folks from uh, FEMA who are starting to assess the damage um, and so right now the effort is really focused on getting the tornado victims the individual help they need, whether that's with their immediate basic needs, food, clothing, shelter, um, with their the damage to their property, um, you name it. And they've got everything together in this uh, in this resource center that they've opened at the health department. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. We're talking with Kathy Sweeney, who's the PM anchor for KFBS. Heartland News Television in Cape Girardeau, there were five who died. Is that correct? Yes, five victims. One of the grandparents was so gratified. She mentioned that she was so gratified for all the attention that came from outside the community to help. 
Yeah, it's, it's been a really tough time for them. They were gracious enough to speak with us on Friday of last week. Um, and again, these were five people who were all in the same Glen Allen home when the tornado came through. The one woman we spoke to lost four family members. And then the second woman we spoke to um, her, lost her nephew. Um, and it, it has. It's just been a, a devastating time for them. They expressed to us the shock they're still in. And so it's 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 really been kind of a fog over the, the course of the last week. And, and again, they were very appreciative also of the amazing outpouring of support. And I don't know that I've ever seen a larger, more immediate response to a disaster. Dozens upon dozens of search and rescue crew members with dogs and ATVs and trucks and uh, helicopters and drones. And once that initial rescue operation was complete, they immediately shifted gears into a what can we do for you um, effort and operation. And, and you saw dozens upon dozens of people in these small areas with heavy equipment, um, you know, digging their neighbors out and, and clearing a path. And um, they were pulling trees off the local post office in the community of Glen Allen. And uh, it's really, it's been an amazing effort to see as, as, as terrible as the situation is, and as, as concentrated as the damage area is, the outpouring of support has really been stunning. So it's good to hear your perspective, especially having all the experience covering this area as you have. So there's no doubt that we were prepared for this. And that's all we can be with something like a tornado, right? There's no way that we can do anything but prepare to react, right? And and that's got to be frustrating. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, we knew, we knew the weather was coming. Uh, we were blessed to have a very um, a very strong weather team here at our station. So we knew it was coming and we'd been giving folks warning, um, for a number of days ahead of the storm. Um, I actually, uh, woke up to my alert from, uh, our, our station's um, weather app waking me up at 345. Um, and when I got to, uh, Glen Allen later that morning was told by numerous people that they were awakened by the alert on their cell phone, um, at about 320. Um, and so, you know, they, it gave them about, they said a 15 to 20 minute window to, to get in their cellars, to try to get in their safe spaces. But it's, it's, it's like you said, you can, you can only do so much and be so prepared, especially when a storm comes through in the middle of the night, the way this one did. And again, it's such a rural area um, that that damage was so concentrated to those small communities that, uh, uh, again, the, the the damage was really devastating to see. Um, and a lot of the families there, as as I spent a couple days there and talked with folks, uh, they all know each other. They're all related. Um, not only were these five victims related and well known to each other, but I, I ran into a, a gentleman who. Um, was standing outside this beautiful, and you could tell it was an older home. And, and he told me it was his wife's great grandmother's home that had been built in the 1870s. And it was still standing. It made it through that tornado. And he shared with me his story. Um, and then I walked down the street and ran into someone else. And they said, well, did you, did you talk to my uncle Donnie? He's the one with the the big giant house. I said, yeah, I did. And I ended up talking to Donnie's nephew and his niece and his cousin. And there, it, it there was just so many people who were so tied to one another and tied to that community. Um, and so even the homes and the residents who didn't have damage immediately turned 
you know, like this gentleman did, okay, my house is fine. Now who can I go help? What, what about my neighbor's home? What about uh, my neighbor's property? So not only were they kind of securing their own property and checking on their own family members, they were immediately turning to see what they could do to help their friends and their neighbors. And as a wrap up here, because I know, Kathy Sweeney, we need to let you go and anchor for KFES, the PM News. But uh, what's what's ahead now? What needs to happen next? What's left to do? So I think really what's next now is is what kind of state and f- even federal resources might there be? And that's something the governor addressed the day of the tornado. That's something that the senator addressed the day of the tornado. Um, they expressed some some frustration, honestly, because it is such a small, compacted area of damage. However, um, there are state officials and federal officials on the ground right now assessing the damage to see what can be done. Um, but but one thing I would be confident in telling you is that um, the local resources, the county um, led by, um, I believe, the youngest sheriff in the state of Missouri, Casey Graham, um, those local resources aren't going anywhere and plan to stay uh, with these folks as long as they need the help. So I think short term, we're watching to see what, if anything, can the state and the federal government even do. But then long term, um, this community will just continue to to pick itself back up and build itself back up. Kathy Sweeney will continue to watch your coverage at KFBS Heartland News. Thank you for joining us today and giving us the update on Bollinger County. Thank you for being with us on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit wesaysaveit.org. That's wesaysaveit.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. A Shiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? (gasps) Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack, and Elisa Nelson joins us from the Capitol, wrapping up another week of a legislative session and two big items that um, appeared, at least in the beginning, that they could get passed and we could see some change. Uh, but now uh, we're running into trouble. Uh, one of those is the widening of I-70. We'll get to that in a moment. And the other one is a sports betting bill. This is something the state has been trying to do for the last couple of years and haven't had success, uh, and it looked like uh, this year it may finally happen. Kansas, Iowa, Illinois, they've all got bills. They've all got uh, things passed, and now it looks like it might be dying out here. So, Elisa, uh, give us the latest. Uh, what's going on with the sports betting bill? Well, <laughs> it's not looking good. Missouri Senate President Pro Tem Caleb Rowden, he does not appear to be holding his breath on a sports betting bill passing. It's like anything else. If you have 18 votes, you can do whatever you want in this place. But clearly they don't. So we'll see what happens. I don't I don't have, I said last week, a couple weeks ago, I don't have a good plan for a path on that. Either they're going to sit or they're not. The odds, not good. Yeah, unfortunately. Elisa, when he talks about uh, 18 votes, what what is he talking about? Can you explain that? So that's the minimum number of votes it, 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 that is required to pass a bill in the Senate. So they, the Senate appears to not have 18 votes right now to get that bill passed, to get any sort of sports betting bill passed at this point. And what's holding up the bill? The details. I think, um, I think senators are butting their heads over whether or not to include video lottery machines lawmakers some want to tackle both issues while other lawmakers want to just deal with sports betting and not only that but the tax rate is another thing um and so i think some senators lawmakers they want to tax at a certain rate um because it's something that's more palatable for the casinos, uh, while other senators or lawmakers want to have a higher tax rate, because in Missouri, the, the tax rate for all other gambling is 21%. And so there have been some bills out there that are 10% for sports betting, others are at 21%. And so, um, you know, there was some debate on this last week and um, in the Senate, and that tax rate went up to about 15%, but then the bill, no vote was, ended up being taken on the bill in the Senate, and they just have not been able to find a path forward since. Well, sports betting and video lottery machines are two completely different things. Why can't they separate them? 
it's a good question. I mean, um, I think overall they're both uh, a form of gambling and um, video lottery lottery machines are, you know, those machines you can find in places like bars, restaurants, truck stops, gas stations, and they're not being regulated right now. I think it's a, it's a, it is a big animal to tackle as well, and it would be taking away revenue from the businesses who have who currently have those machines. If there were taxes, yes. Right now, they're they're making a a nice little profit at some of these places because they have the if they have the video lottery machines. Yeah. Yeah, it's really uh, confusing. So, does this tie in with uh, the riverboat casinos at all? I mean, are there uh, are there lobbyists? Are there anybody from from that side that's poking the bear a little bit to kind of delay sports betting? Well, um, my understanding is that the casinos uh, only want a tax rate of about ten percent. That's um, um, what I've heard. Is that ten percent is okay? But um, going any higher, I'm not sure that they're on board with something like that. So I think, you know, you've got um, plenty of lobbyists here that um, are, are trying to push for as low of tax rate as possible on something like this. And yeah, the river vo- river boat casinos do have something to do with this because the way it would be set up is um, that if you want to bet, a place of sports bet, you would have to basically um, be admitted through a casino. You could do it online, but you would have to be admitted into a casino or um, like at a, at a Cardinals game, at a Royals game, at a Chiefs game, there would be those sort of entities that it would be set up to bet as well. Yeah. Elisa Nelson joining us here on Show Me Today. What's the status of the governor's request to widen I-70 to six lanes. And that would just be in the St. Louis, Columbia, Kansas City area, correct? Correct. Yeah. At some of the choke points across the state along I-70. So the governor's original plan was about $859 million is what he requested in his budget proposal for the next state budget year. And that would widen I-70. Um, so, you know, the, the legislature has been working on the budget. It's been mainly in the House. And the House has passed uh, the budget now. But they're working on some uh, some miscellaneous budget bills, one dealing with uh, construction projects, large construction projects. And that is where the governor's... Um, budget proposal for I-70 lives right now. The House Budget Committee chairman, Cody Smith, he originally took out the governor's proposed uh, $859 million request. He's put that back in. And so um, now there will be discussion on that. And that'll be brought up um, for House debate. I guess it's a good sign that he took it out and then put it back in. Yeah, I, you know, and I can only um, think that maybe there were negotiations with the governor's uh, office on that, and and maybe that's why it's put back in. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just um, doing some number crunching. I don't really know. All right, so if it passes the House, what do you think the Senate will do? Will they go along with this plan? You know, uh, the Senate Appropriations Committee Chair, Lincoln Huff, has a much bigger plan for I-70, in fact. Um, he actually wants to 
um, expand I-70 to six lanes across the entire state. So you're talking about $3 billion to do something like that. Um, so you're talking, you know, a matter of 859 million versus 3 billion. That's a pretty big difference. So if they end up meeting in the middle, I don't know, or if they end up going with his plan. I mean, you've got two, uh, very powerful people who control the state's purse strings. And, and, um, so we'll see what happens. But, um, this is something that I think either way, either plan, I think the governor would be happy with. Could the state afford $3 billion to widen I-70 all the way from St. Louis to Kansas City, six lanes? You know, I think that's something that we'll have to watch as we get through the budget process because um, that's a very different price tag to um, rebuild, rehab I-70 across the entire state. But we do have a lot of federal money. So now the governor says that we can afford his plan, which is about $859 million. And I believe now's the time. If we don't get it done now, I don't know that we get it done, but we have the money to do it. We have a plan in place uh, to make I-70 into three lanes both directions would be a huge accomplishment. And just it would just be so good for the state. All right, uh, Lisa Nelson, how many more weeks? I mean, we got to be getting closer to the end, right? Yeah. We are, um, I think, May 13th, May 12th. So about another month. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, yeah, that'll be nice for you. Yeah, a little break for you, too. (laughs) Elisa Nelson working hard at the state capitol. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you. Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Show Me Today. Kansas City is called the City of Fountains. There are more than 200 in the city, so it makes sense that Kansas City has its own Fountains Day. Cameron Connor talks with the president of the City of Fountains Foundation, Mark McHenry, about today's celebration and the foundation's 50th anniversary. In order to get a okay. Fountains Day, you probably have to have some sort of reputation for having fountains in Kansas City. So can you can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I sure can. Uh KC has been known uh, for several years as the City of Fountains. I think we take a lot of pride in doing that. Um, it goes back, actually, to about that same time frame in the 70s uh, when the City of Fountains Foundation was born. As fountains were started to add in the city's clear back at the turn of the century. Uh, and then over a period of years, more and more fountains were added uh, in a variety of locations in the park and boulevard system and city parks and in public areas, public fountains is what they were. So back in that time frame, as I said, back in the late 60s, early 70s, the the term of the city of fountains caught on. And we've used that term now for over 50 years. And uh, I think Kansas City, for the most part, is known as the city of fountains throughout throughout the country. It's used on the marketing material. It's used in the city logos. It's used in a variety of different ways. And so we've kind of a claim to fame, you might say is part of the history and the culture within Kansas City. I don't think there's any other way to to acknowledge this, but to agree with you. No matter where you are in Kansas City, whether you're at mm-hmm. driving in, mm-hmm. you're at Kauffman Stadium, or you go to Plaza Downtown, right. or you go to the Art District, yeah. there are so many historic fountains. So mm-hmm. what what is the plan for for Fountains Day that's coming up today. What happens on, we started this up, I think the first time I remember that we actually started what we call Fountain Day. I mean, traditionally the fountains come on in the spring. It's kind of a 
ritual, you might say, of spring. You know, it's going to be like we're here in the month of April. You know, the trees are starting to bloom, the flowers are popping, the grass is turning green. Springs on, you know, springs in the air, you would say. And so fountains get turned on um, because most of them lay dormant during the winter months. Uh, like anything, it's time for the, the water to start splashing throughout the fountains and show the beauty of spring. So it's been kind of a tradition, but I, I think the first one I remember was in 1988. Um and what happened in 1988 is um, a little history for you. It was called KC Day is what it was called. And the reason it was called KC Day is because uh, the Royals had their opening day, which, again, kind of a ritual spring is Royals baseball. Um, the NCAA Final Four is actually here in Kansas City in 1988, which that just happened here a week or so ago, but it was actually here in Kansas City when the uh, term was being played and then the fountain were coming on. So we call it Kansas city day and the rotary club was selling papers on the street corners. And it was a pretty ex- exciting day. And the fountains came on. So we've kept that tradition alive, at least since 88. And, uh, now we're not always lining up with Royals opening day. Sometimes this year we're doing it in conjunction with them on the 14th in the evening instead of the daytime. But the fountain day is that time that we turn the fountains on throughout the city. And there's 48 fountains, public fountains in Kansas City. So all 48 come on, uh, unless there may be a couple that, are, that aren't in operation or whatever. But regardless, then we always highlight one location. Uh, we'll have a little bit of media and press um, and kind of make a little bit more of a, you know, of a celebration of, you know, turning the valves or clicking the switch to turn that fountain on. And this year, it'll be at the Mill Creek Fountain, which is located just to the east of the Country Club Plaza. The time is 2 o'clock. Uh, there had been some discussions about doing it in the early part of the day, but kind of watching the weather forecast, we focused it at two o'clock that afternoon. So Friday, the 14th, 2 PM, Mill Creek fountain, just east of the country. We'll turn that fountain on and we'll have like slugger there from the Royals. Cause this is a partnership with the Kansas city Royals. And I think we got some music and entertainment and you know, things of that nature. And then because it's the 50th anniversary, we'll have a few more items down there. So we have a brand new book that just came out that highlights the fountains of Kansas City. And we'll display the book and some other products and stuff that go along with that. Okay, great. And for anyone that's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with president of the City of Fountains Foundation in Kansas City, Mark McHenry, talking about Fountains Day that's going to be going on today, this Friday at 2 p.m. And we're also talking about a little bit of the history behind why there is a Fountain Day, talking about the 50th anniversary of the City of Fountains Foundation you already highlighted what, what's going to be going on for the event, but maybe can you tell me a little bit more about the City of Fountains Foundation itself, how it got to 50 years, why it was established in the first place, and how, in a lot of ways, you basically commemorate a lot of the fountains around the city. I'd be glad to. Uh, these 48 fountains I mentioned earlier are on parkland. So the primary department responsible for the maintenance and operation of fountains is the Kansas City Parks and Recreation Department, which is governed by a five-member park board. Uh, that's a city agency um, that takes care of it on an ongoing basis, but they need a support and assistance. Um, they're again, they're operating through through tax dollars for the most part. And in some cases, they have limited resources to maintain all these fountains throughout the city. So the foundation was established to support that, and they support it in a variety of ways. One, raise money privately when there's a need for resources to restore or fix a fountain. So that's a private fundraising effort. Also, the City of Fountains Foundation was established as an agency, an organization that could be a big supporter to uh, get the word out, to be a cheerleader, be an advocate, be a supporter, all the things that a not-for-profit organization can do independent of government. 
So we've always been a partner with Casey Parks and Recreation since established in 1973. And then there again, being a separate not-for-profit organization, we have the latitude to do some things maybe a government agency couldn't do. And uh, so support the founds, help maintain the founds, uh, be a strong advocate for the founds, and do all we can in order to encourage uh, the, the support of the community to make this ongoing effort of the City of Fountains. Okay, great. And one of the wrap-up questions that I'll have for you is, I'm assuming that through this foundation, there's also a lot of opportunities, probably for some volunteer days or volunteer opportunities and maybe some donations and such of that matter. for people. Absolutely who are, correct. Yeah, great. Yeah. So for people yeah, who are uh, interested go, in that, where do they go? Well, go to the website, City Fountains Foundation. Uh, is where it is. It'll probably take you through the Parks and Recreation website, but you'll you'll get to the City of Fountains Foundation website, and you can donate online for that. Uh, and, and there again, we are going to have some merchandise for sale uh, that'll also be on the website. We have a brand new book that's come out. We've got a it's kind of a coffee table, beautiful color photos. We actually have a coloring book that we're producing. We're doing the uh, jigsaw puzzle. I think we're doing some special plates. We've got some prints. In merchandise that could be purchased, that's all commemorative of the City of Fountains. Uh, we, I just did a little kind of interesting. Did a, a commercial yesterday for Casey Beer. Uh, if you're if you're a beer drinker, Casey Beer is a local uh, craft brewing company that has a new beer on the market. It's Casey Fountains Beer, so it's branded as that. So there again, that's another product that could be purchased, and the profit from the sales of those of that beer uh, would then go to the City of Fountains Foundation. There again, that can be purchased at uh, you know, a grocery store, for example. So those are the different ways that you can contribute financially. And then, yes, volunteers, we, uh, we're always looking for people to help out as far as, you know, be part of our group, part of our friends organization. And there again, to the website, you'll find the contact. You'll also see a phone number on the website. And you could call our administrative assistant at that phone number and uh, put your name forward to support and assist. Great. Mark, is there anything else that maybe I left out or that you have coming up or maybe other events that are going on this summer? Or if you want to give mementos to the 50th years, anything I left out? Yeah, that evening at at Royals Stadium, Kauffman Stadium, uh, where they take on the Atlanta Braves, uh, we'll have some information on the fountains up on the big jumbotron. Uh, we'll have some of the merchandise I mentioned for sale, and this is also when the we call they call it bring back bring out the blue, where the Royals wear their City of Fountains uniform. They have a uniform that actually has the fountain logo on their their jerseys, so that's what they're going to be wearing this Friday evening at uh, Kauffman Stadium. And then throughout the season, whenever the Royals come back from a uh, from a road trip and they play on a Friday night, we'll also turn all the fountain turn the fountains on dye in blue in commemoration of bringing out the blue. So this event will continue throughout the summer months on those Fridays. There again, when the Royals come home from a road trip, they wear the fountain uniform, and then we turn fountains blue throughout the city. And we have the ability to take these fountains and put blue dye in them. And so it's the, you know, the nice symbolism between the, the blue water and the fountain and the, the Royals blue. Sounds like an absolute blast. So once again, this is mm-hmm. Mark McHenry. He's the president of the City of Fountains Foundation. It's going to be Fountains Day today, and they are doing so many great opportunities around, or so many great events around Kansas City for it. They're also celebrating their 50th anniversary of the foundation. So, Mark, thank you once again here for your time on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Thanks, Cameron. Appreciate it. And if you enjoyed what you're listening today, make sure to subscribe, download, and tune in to the Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri podcast. You can get it on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. 
Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges. But many of us do not understand what we are facing or how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit MentallyHealthyNation.org to learn more. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. We return to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. And joining us is Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad from MISHA, the executive director. Jen, nice to visit with you again. I'm glad to be back, Bill. Well, this is uh, really a, a busy time uh, coming up here for MISHA. And when you look at um, some of the, the spring competitions that you have coming up, uh, activity championships and, and festivals, it's not just sports, but uh, speech, debate, theater championships, those are all coming up the 20th through the 22nd, and those draw big participation numbers. The, they really do. Um, we we host those those championships in Springfield, uh, largely on the, uh, the campus of Missouri State University. Um, our One Act and our Reader's Theater uh, events and theater 
uh, are hosted at local high schools. Uh, but for the most part, we're going to be on Missouri State University's campus. And yeah, we have we have a lot of kids show up for our speech debate and theater championships. You know, unlike sports where two teams play it out on the field, whoever wins advances. How do um, th- things such as speech and debate and h- how do how do people advance to to this point, to the to the championship level? Well, in speech, debate, and theater, uh, we we have a district tournament. Um, we have nine districts uh, in our state. Speech, debate, and theater has a very different organization uh, as opposed to some of our other sports and activities, um, where it's actually by county. Uh, that was our only our only activity that that looks at counties, uh, but we have nine districts um, organized by counties, uh, and they uh, have their district tournaments, and um, they. There's a formula for how many students in every event uh, qualify for state based on the number of participants in that particular district. Uh, so very much like uh, like sports and and uh, our other activity that that uh, has a championship, which is Scholar Bowl, uh, they're coming out of a tournament. Uh, and and then the state tournament will determine state champions in every one of those activities and then also team champions. Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, the executive director of MISHA, joining us here on Show Me Today. Uh, so you oversee game officials for sports. Do you oversee and, and hire the, the judges for speech and debate and theater? We do. Uh, now, we use the help of uh, of folks in, the, in our state that uh, have a lot of expertise in this area, many of them school folks. Uh, but yes, we, we hire the, those judges for speech, debate, and theater. Uh, they are experienced folks from in and outside the state of Missouri. Uh, who uh, who know their craft? Um, just like just like our sports officials, um, we want to get those who uh, are are most experienced, most available, or most able uh, to provide a fair and high quality uh, opportunity for students who've qualified uh, to the highest level in our state. Yeah, I have a lot of admiration for those kids. I, I was horrible. I- Believe it or not, in in speech, I, I couldn't get up in front of people and do speech. Maybe that's why radio worked out a little bit better. I didn't have to stare at anybody. But uh, and then coming up later this month, the twenty seventh through the twenty ninth, the State Music Festival. Yes, and uh, that's another busy event. And that's at Mizzou, right? Yes, we host that at Mizzou, three day event, uh, the twenty seventh, twenty eighth, and twenty ninth of April, um, and that is our largest. Uh, our largest event. Um, we have more participants at State Music Festival than any of our sports or activities. Um, and we, the three day, any school will be there only one of the three days. Uh, we run all participating schools through uh, a three day rotation year to year. So you're either going to be Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, and then that will rotate. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it's performances. Uh, it's in at the state festival. We only have performances for solo and small group ensembles. <clears throat> our large ensembles. Uh, have only one opportunity, and that's in our our district festivals. Uh, so your uh, your choirs and wind ensembles and and school orchestras are performing and uh, and getting their rating at, at district, and that is the one rating they will get. We are three full days. It's a, it's a very festive atmosphere. Um, it is not a championship. It's a festival. Uh, we're not competing against each other. We're competing against a standard. So you receive a rating. There will be many, many, many winners if you see it, see it that way. Coming up in early May, the Scholar Bowl Championships. Now, what's this like? Because I envision uh, kids coming up like a 
a game show, like a Jeopardy thing, where people have a little clicker, they can buzz in, boop, boop, with their little answers, and explain the, the, the Scholar Bowl format and the championships and how that works. Well, you have you've described a part of it. Yes, there are uh, there are <laughs> okay, really yeah uh, yeah there are okay. Is, uh, our name for it is Scholar Bowl. You might hear it as Quiz Bowl or Academic Team or uh, Knowledge Bowl. There are all kinds of different uh, uh, titles for what this is, but it's essentially a um, a co- competition of knowledge. Uh, their teams uh, and the students uh, participate. It's a head to head competition. You participate against another team. You have substitutes. Uh, and you, you're going to get a, a, a bunch of questions uh, from any number of categories. Uh, and these students have practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and competed uh, throughout the year against other schools. Um, and they are uh, the, the questions as they come are uh, worded in such a way that that you're able, you can buzz in before the question is, is completed. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and the early parts of the question are rather vague, uh, and sometimes maybe unintentionally, but they're, they might be misleading. Uh, as you get deeper into the question, you get more clues about what the question's about. Uh, so there is a little bit of gamesmanship and you have to understand how to, how to play the game. When is it best to, to take the risk and buzz in and try to guess what the question was going to be asking had it been finished? Um, so you, you've got, uh, mathematics, science, uh, literature, those kinds of things, uh, pop culture questions. Um, and we, uh, you know, we buy our questions, uh, and, and ensure those questions haven't been seen by anyone else um so I would, they, yeah i was just going to ask you that where, where you come up with the who comes up with the questions and we yeah we have a third party vendor who provides our questions uh both for the district level which are our, our district championships are this weekend this saturday uh our district championships and then in, in on in the first weekend in may will be the state competition we have four classes um and we bring the top four teams uh to the finals so we have four districts happening this weekend in four classes so we'll have 16 district championships those questions are, are fresh. It's a fresh set of questions. Uh, it's not possible that the same question could have been heard. You know, we've talked uh, about girls wrestling, and I saw that uh, Misha tweeted yesterday a couple of uh, new state records, uh, and there may have been more. I, these just caught me, though. Uh, but Olivia Chapman from uh, Eldon uh, set a record for 49 wins in a season, 114 wins by fall for her career, and 145 wins for her career. And then... Um, Brianne Gibbs from Moberly, 47 wins by fall this season. So uh, those are new records. And we've talked about that. And I've asked you before, how long has girls wrestling been a state championship and, and sanctioned by Misha? This is our fifth year um, yeah. with girls wrestling. As Girls have been able to wrestle prior to that, but they wrestled in what we would consider co-gender wrestling, uh, which was largely dominated by boys because everybody was the same. Uh, but, in, but this is our fifth year with, with girls wrestling. Wow. Those are some amazing records, too. They are. Uh, girls wrestling has has really taken off in our state. We uh, I think I said this before, but we we have the second fastest growth uh, in girls wrestling of any state that has the sport uh, and the sport continues to add in several states. Uh, but the the quality of uh, of our girls wrestlers has improved as fast as the participation has improved. Um, we have some fantastic wrestlers who are, you know, they're getting college scholarships to wrestle in college um that girls wrestling is is now a collegiate sport as well uh the olympics has girls wrestling
wrestling. And, um, and we are seeing, um, really talented young women, uh, participating, uh, in wrestling during the regular season. And then we get to see them at the championships. Jen, this is a, a governance year for Misha. The board of directors, uh, membership will get involved. Uh, and there's an annual ballot. Um, as we wrap up, can you talk about some of the things that are on the ballot that, that might affect, um, students and parents the most? Yes, April is our ballot month. Uh, we have it every year, every spring. Our membership is asked to consider uh, a number of ballot items. And anytime that an item is on the ballot, we're talking about a constitutional issue or a bylaw issue. And so we've got 15 items on the ballot this year. Um, the probably the 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 uh, most notable notable are uh, boys volleyball being considered uh, as an interscholastic sport right now. It is an emerging, or it's actually a provisionally interscholastic sport with us. It's been emerging for many years. Uh, and our boys volleyball schools have the choice this spring whether or not they want to go fully interscholastic. And if that passes, we'll have uh, a new spring championship with boys volleyball. Um, we've asked the membership if they'd like to involve or in, uh, include stunt which is a head-to-head -head competition. It's a team sport for girls, uh, and it comes out of the sport of cheerleading. Uh, we've asked them if they want to add that as an emerging sport. Um, we have, uh, we've got some, some bylaw wording we're asking about, uh, in regards to junior high, uh, in academic enrollment standards. We're trying to make those, uh, a little more aligned with our high school standards. Uh, and we have quite a few issues in regards to uh, our annual documentation, specifically when it comes to uh, to our activities. Um, it's it's essentially a cleaning up of our bylaws to to ensure that what what has been practice uh, in many of our schools uh, is now reflected in in our own bylaws about um, what's required for mission participation, whether in sports or activities. Um, it's not it's not very glamorous, uh, but it is a very uh, important part uh, of ensuring that our bylaws actually speak to, uh, to speak to practice and the values of the organization. Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, the executive director of MISHA, always appreciate the visit. It's going to be busy. It's a busy, busy time in schools, and that means it's a busy time here in MISHA. So thanks, yeah. Bill. I really appreciate talking to you. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show me today.